Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Associate Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Blue Balliette, the author of Out of the Wild Night, a middle grade ghost story out in March from Scholastic Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. Blue Balliette is the author of several best-selling mystery novels for young readers, including the Edgar Award-winning Chasing Vermeer. Thanks for joining me, Blue. Oh, I'm delighted to be here today. In Out of the Wild Night, the ghost of Mary Chase has risen after more than a century when she finds that her Nantucket home is one of many historical buildings being destroyed by a greedy developer. Meanwhile, a group of kids has banded together to preserve the homes of Nantucket, with help from ghosts like Mary. But soon they realize that not all of the island spirits are benevolent. So, Blue, the Nantucket setting is a palpable presence in the novel. <laughs> yes. Were you drawing from your own experience of the island? Yes, I certainly was. Out of the Wild Night, like all of my other mysteries, is in many ways more fact than fiction. My husband and I and our family used to live on Nantucket before we moved to Chicago many years ago. And Nantucket is an island with an, a very odd side to it. There are many quote-unquote real experiences with ghosts that people report on Nantucket. So ghosts are sort of an amazing part of the island that most people who live there know about. I've always really, really loved Nantucket. I, sh I should back up a little and tell you that um, I was born in New York City um, and <laughs> I had never met anyone who believed in ghosts. And I first came to Nantucket as a summer worker at age 18, and I just fell madly in love with this magical place. Um, and coming from Manhattan and not having traveled much, I felt as though I had stepped into a fantastic uh, novel of some kind. Everything felt mysterious and old and understated and steeped in stories. Of course, Nantucket has a huge history in the world of 19th century whaling. And the houses on Nantucket were incredible to me. I mean, this was some time ago. Um, this was when I was 18. And there hadn't yet been that many renovations. And there were just hundreds and hundreds of old Quaker houses. And they are sort of simple and modest houses. But to see such old houses, many of them 17th and 18th century just blew me away. And then I did have a very odd experience. <laughs> when I was out there, I, I had uh, a kind of a run-in with a ghost. And um, I was going to ask if you're a believer. <laughs> well, I, I never talk about myself as a believer. I know what happened to me, and it was as real as you know, eating a tuna fish sandwich. It definitely happened. But something like that, that's not within your definition of what's real um, is, is really kind of shocking. And I didn't talk about it for quite some time. 
And then I returned to Nantucket as soon as I graduated from college. I just wanted to be back there. It was kind of pulling at me. And I worked as a grill cook and I tried to become a writer right away, which of course didn't happen. I sent lots of things in and got rejection slips. And during that time, I began to hear people living on the island talking about ghosts and about people they knew out there who had had some odd paranormal occurrences happen in their everyday lives. And of course, having had that experience myself, I was really fascinated. And over the next 10 years, I interviewed maybe 75 people out there. Some were summer visitors, some were year-round people, some were young, some were old, some were men, some were women. There didn't seem to be any common denominator. But I heard an amazing range of experiences, and most of them were attached to these old, simple wooden houses. They happened in or around the houses. And when you hear that many stories, uh, it does kind of change the way you think about life and death <laughs> and about the community that surrounds and and is responsible for producing all these stories. So, of course, I, I felt like it was a great privilege to hear all of these people telling me about such unusual um, happenings. And I certainly never forgot that. And you collected many of those first-person accounts in Nantucket Ghosts. Right. That was my first published book. So that was done in my 20s. And then we left Nantucket, moved to Chicago. I became a classroom teacher. And I um, obviously stopped collecting ghost material and was very busy with other things. But I soon learned that kids were absolutely fascinated by the fact that I had heard, quote unquote, real ghost stories. I don't think I talked to them about having had an odd experience myself. And I learned quickly that ghosts um, have a way of pulling everyone into sort of the same quiet space, even if people, adults, not only children, if adults, you're in a room of adults and you're telling a real ghost story, even people who say, oh, I don't believe in ghosts become dead quiet because there's a side to us all that thinks, well, what if? <laughs> what if? What if life and death have a different border between them than, than what we all like to assume in the modern world? In your author's note for Out of the Wild Night, you mention that the narrator Mary Chase is based on a real figure. Can you talk a bit about who she was and how you first learned about her? Sure. She lived um, on Nantucket, died in 1917. I think she was just, I, I've been unable to find out whether she had a job outside of the home, but um, she was married. And um, I saw a picture of her standing outside her house taken in the 1880s. And she looks like a kind of severe um, person who's had a hard life, and she's just standing there in her little dress, which is down to the ground, and looking right at you. And she gradually became a character in my mind. I remembered that photograph. And in terms of the structure, 
Had you always known that you would use Mary as sort of a frame for your story? No, I certainly ha- I certainly didn't know that. I think I wanted to write a piece of fiction using this wealth of ghost material that was inside me for all these years. Um, and I should also say that ghosts kind of wander in and out of my other mysteries. There's uh, sort of a ghostly figure in The Right Three and in Pieces and Players. Ghosts, ghosts definitely um, haven't left me um, or hadn't before I began work on Out of the Wild Night. But I just really wasn't sure how to write a piece of fiction set on Nantucket. And I thought about it for years and years. And when I am thinking about writing a book, I go through a long period of time, sometimes when I'm on book tour for another book, or sometimes when I'm taking a walk or taking a swim, I gather the ingredients that are going to fit together within the novel. And I just keep stirring them around until I hit kind of a moment where I think, oh, that's it. That's my green light. I have it. And until I settled on the idea of giving this woman, Mary Chase, a voice and listening to her and allowing her to come alive inside me, I wasn't sure what the handle would be and how I would get to all the other characters in this novel. It really is both a mystery and a ghost story out of The Wild Night. And the novel also raises issues of visibility, not just for the ghosts, of course, but for children and others who may go unseen and unheard. What do you hope readers will take away from those comparisons? Um, yeah, I mean, I I should say I, I think ghosts are really a perfect vehicle for exploring the fact that life is full of death and vice versa. Death is full of life. And the idea of ghosts, I think to children is scary, but it's also in some way reassuring. It gives you the message that human life is big and mysterious and extraordinary and filled with possibilities. And uh, I think I've always loved that feeling. And I've learned that children really love that feeling too. So they like to be scared, but they're also kind of reassured. It's as if death is not as final as, as it seems to be when they run into it in their lives. And for all of my writings for children, I think I'm somebody who so genuinely believes in the power of kids thinking. And I, I have such a very deep respect for the way kids process the world. It's fascinated me forever. And I know what powerful little brains they have. So I try always to give my characters a voice and a vehicle in order to change their world in one way or another, to give them the tools they need to take off in my imagination. And that happens in Out of the Wild Night, certainly. And in this book, the children are tackling something that happens not only on Nantucket, but in all communities in the United States that have older buildings. And that is that often when an older building changes hands, these days, probably began, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago in the U.S. Owners feel if they have the money that they want to get rid of 
all that's old and uneven and worn on the inside of the house. On Nantucket, sometimes these days, that means somebody buys an old Quaker house, you know, a house that might be couple of hundred years old and they gut the inside. They'll keep the outside old, but the inside is just gone. And often the floors are still okay. And, you know, all those handmade latches and the inside of the house um, was often taken care of very carefully over the decades and did not need to be thrown away. So the children in my book are appalled by this and they get to work on it in many different ways. I don't want to give anything away. Speaking of architecture, I saw in your bio that you have a degree in art history from Brown. Yeah. What led you to pursue your interest in history through writing specifically for young readers? Yeah. Oh, what what sparked it was um, I'm somebody who's always been a very, very curious person and a big reader. And as a child, I had all kinds of dreams of tackling things in the real world that grownups didn't yet understand, things like ghosts or um, some problem in the environment or a mysterious piece of history. And my dream was always that I might be the one to figure this out. And that feeling has always been with me. And I've noticed that children learn amazing things and sort of take charge of their own learning when they're really, truly curious. So when I was a classroom teacher, um, one year I had a group of kids who were really interested in mysteries in the real world, and they kept bringing me back around to that point. And also they were interested in art. So um, as a project in my classroom we each began our own real art mystery, and I began working on Chasing Vermeer that year, thinking I could maybe use it as a read-aloud in my classroom. So I wrote what I wanted to give to my class because I couldn't quite find the right combination of things that I wanted to read aloud to them. Had you always been interested in mysteries as a reader when you were growing up? Yeah, I think definitely. I read Nancy Drew, and I read this funny British author, Enid Blyton, who wrote Mysteries. And also, when I was 12 years old, I read The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler and um, was crazy about that book because this is Konigsberg's novel. It was set in a place, a real place, place I knew, and it had a big mystery within it, a mystery about art. And sometimes I think reading that book changed my life forever because I might not have begun thinking about art as something so mysterious if it hadn't been for that book. And I never forgot how good it felt to me as a child to read about the real world in a mystery instead of just a fictitious town or a place that had been invented by the writer. And so in some ways, Chasing Vermeer came right out of that book, too. Um, I am somebody who believes that what you read in those early years, I think really before you're a full-blown teenager, is often stuff that sticks with you forever. I think your brain is really powerful. I think you're naturally curious and 
all the doors and windows are open. So that's what I did. I just soaked all of that in and um, it really stayed with me forever. To wrap things up, can you tell us anything about what you're working on now? Um, I'm at that stage where I'm stirring things around in my head. Um, I sometimes do that for ages and ages, and then I just sit down and write the first draft in a matter of months. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure yet. I, I don't think I can talk about it. But I have to say I'm really looking forward to being able to talk about ghosts um, while I'm on tour and in schools with kids because before Out of the Wild Night was written, Whenever kids found out in an audience that I had collected some real ghost stories or they would they might not even have known that, but they saw a ghost inside one of the mysteries I wrote and they wanted to talk about ghosts. Their interest in ghosts often derailed a Q&A session because once they began talking, they just had so many questions. They wanted to know if I believed in ghosts and whether, you know, anybody wanted to hear their ghost story and so on. So I'm really, really looking forward to the next few months of traveling and being able to share this very ghosty story with lots of kids. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for sharing the story with us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Once again, I've been speaking with Blue Balliette, whose novel Out of the Wild Night is out in March from Scholastic Press. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. <laughs>